Our homes and our world are under siege with information. Television and telemarketing, blogs and texting, so much information often bearing too little wisdom. Angry voices compelling hate, quiet voices counseling complacency, mechanical voices offering deals, too much information, too little wisdom. Confusion surrounds us. Truth gets lost. We call out in our confusion. Where is your wisdom, O God? Where is the word that leads to life? We remind ourselves of our ancient story. John, Zechariah's son, out in the desert at the time, received a message from God. He went all through the country around the Jordan River, preaching a baptism of life change leading to forgiveness of sins, as described in the words of Isaiah the prophet, prepare God's arrival, make God's road smooth and straight. Let us light this second candle of Advent, a candle of peace. In its light, let us think quietly and peacefully about what voices of true life change and forgiveness are speaking in our world right now. Let this candle of Advent peace shine in our hearts all week and remind us to enter times of quiet and peace in order to listen through the noise of our lives for the call to prepare for the Holy One. The scripture this morning is Luke, the third chapter, verses one through six. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 60 of the New Testament. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region Eturia and Trachonitis, and Licinius, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Saiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into the region around Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the Isaiah the prophet. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Well, we are in the second week of Advent, uh, that season of waiting for the arrival of Christ, of God's reign, of ruling, of peace, of joy, of love. And the lectionary texts through this season have been walking through the book of Luke. And so we are uh, walking through Luke. Last week, it was kind of towards the end of the gospel, imagining what would it look like for Christ to return. And here, Luke is going to move a little bit earlier in the story to John the Baptist. But I'm, I'm hoping that this journey will be one in which we are all invited to be on watch, thinking about how we can keep our eyes open for how God is at work in us and in the world. And so today's question and tension, I think, is about how can I discern God's wisdom in my life? How can I find any sort of clarity about how God is moving me and how I should act, how I should live, how I should go forth? And that's hard because we live bombarded by other kinds of messaging. Um, 
I, I tried to do a little research to figure out how many ads an average person sees during the day. And if you Google that, all the results come from like 2006, 2007. And the studies that were done that, in that year uh, thought that there was about 5,000 ads that a person would see every day. Now, if that was the case, I can't imagine what it is, you know, 12, 13 years later, uh, how many ads that you don't even notice seeing because we're just so used to it that we just kind of can ignore it. But there's a lot of messages that we, we encounter. Some of those are visual. You know, you just see what's supposed to be the ideal of something, and you just kind of compare yourself to it. Uh, but some of those messages are verbal, and businesses and organizations try to share who they are, but also who we are, who they want us to think we are. So uh, you might recognize some slogans. Uh, L'Oreal, because you're worth it. Don't you think you're worth it? You're a value, right? If you're a value, shouldn't you buy our product? Because you're worth it. Uh, Visa, it's everywhere you want to be. Wherever you want to be, you want to be spending money. And you're going to need a visa to do it. Uh, even the army, be all that you can be. How do you be everything that you can be? Join us, we'll make you that. I could leave this blank. Choosy moms choose Jeff. Are you a choosy mom or are you just kind of, eh, whatever? Uh, when you care enough to send the very best... Hallmark. Burger King changed this in 2014, but have it your way. And they thought they needed a change with the times and that be your way. Uh, instead of just buying how you'd like things to be, like come, you know, buy our products because that's who you want to be. Be your way. Uh, some of those messages don't always translate as well. Uh, as I was looking some slogans up, in 1987, AT&T released one, reach out and touch someone. I don't think that would work as well today. But there's all sorts of messages we encounter. Some of them good, some of them bad. So how in the midst of all of that chaos can we discern where God's voice and God's wisdom is at work in our lives? So I think that's what our text can, can speak to today. So Luke starts us out by giving us context. Where does the story take place? Luke chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip the ruler of the region of Iteria and Trachonidus, and Lysanias ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And so Luke begins by walking us through the who's who list of that time. Everyone who's powerful and is a somebody. And then we hear what the word of God is doing. In the midst of all of those somebodies, what is God's word doing? And uh, I'm going to kind of interchange word of God for the wisdom of God, because that, that Greek idea of word also meant kind of reason, um, the way of thinking, the rational kind of aspect of God. And so for us, I feel like the word word doesn't connotate that as well for us. So I'm just going to, I'm going to use wisdom of God primarily today. But in this story, 
all of these somebodies, it's God at work who's the somebody. God is the primary actor in the text. And the story somewhat makes us feel like we're reading an Old Testament prophet, prophet text. You know, you set, situate the story and who's the king, what's going on in the historical world, world. And then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah or came to uh, Jonah. Jonah doesn't like it. Uh, and so here, the word of the Lord is coming to John. And so we get this kind of introduction to a prophet story. But what I appreciate about this text is in this moment, did the word of God come to Emperor Tiberius? No. Did the word of God, that wisdom of God, come to Pontius Pilate? No. To Herod, to Philip, to Lysanias, to the high priest? No. The wisdom of God came to John in the wilderness. There are a lot of women and men who have grown up being told that their voice doesn't matter, that they aren't important, that their lives don't matter. But Luke wants you to know that the word of God, the wisdom of God, came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And so take comfort that the wisdom of God doesn't rely solely on the powerful, that we aren't just waiting on the voices of powerful politicians or the elite, uh, but the word of God is alive even in the midst of everyday people, even in the midst of an oppressed society, even in the wilderness. So I don't know where your wildernesses are. I don't know if wilderness for you is the death of a loved one, where you're in this place that seems desolate, searching for answers, searching for a way forward. I don't know if the wilderness for you might be the loss of a job, or in today's world, the loss of a whole industry. I can't even work in that field anymore. How do I survive? How do I make it through this desolation in the wilderness? Maybe the wilderness for you is that you've stayed put, you've never moved away, and you feel like there were other opportunities you didn't take. Maybe the wilderness for you was that you did move, and the opportunities didn't happen the way you expected them. And the wilderness was where you went. Maybe the wilderness is the lack of support, whether that's family, friends, your employers, whoever that is. Maybe it's the feeling of isolation. Maybe it's lack of hope. Wherever your wilderness is, the wisdom of God very well might choose that moment, that place, to speak, even in the wilderness. Sometimes it takes being at your absolute worst to suddenly have clarity, to suddenly look at the world with fresh eyes, with new insight. So even in those, those darkest moments, sometimes that's where the wisdom of God comes and speaks. So, the, this original audience who's hearing this story are very well, to, they, they very well might hear that wilderness language and think back on the major Old Testament story of the wilderness. That it's the people of Israel who has been living in oppression and in slavery and who get uh, pull, pulled out of that situation by God, but who haven't quite yet made it to that promised land. They have a hope, they have a vision of a future, they have something that they're, that they're longing for, 
but they're still in that wilderness moment waiting expectantly. And so that's where the crowds are being imagined in the story is God is about to bring about his reign in a way that, that uh, we aren't seeing visibly right now. And let's go out into the wilderness and wait for it and hear God and, and walk with God as God brings in that reign in the new promised land. And so there's a call to action. Do you want to go out into the wilderness, take part in God's reign? In Luke 3.3, 3, it says that he went, uh, he being John the Baptist, he went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. While the word of the God is, while that wisdom of God is the primary actor in the story, all these big name people are there and the word of God is at work, it's at work through receptive individuals who want to take part on that journey with God. And so John responds positively and goes into the wilderness and preaches a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I appreciate that the wilderness might seem like a really bad place to get a platform to share God's message, but that's the very place that John speaks from that brings crowds out from everyday life and from the cities of that time. And John, not only did he respond positively, but he invites others to respond positively to the wisdom of God at work. He asks them to repent through a, an interesting ritual act using water, through baptism. And there's some historical kind of background that maybe why you would use baptism. Uh, there's plenty of Leviticus kind of washing codes of how to cleanse yourself. And so there's that kind of dynamic of um, washing away the dirt, the grime of the world, and how that reflects a spiritual imagination. But baptism had also become kind of an initiation act, also out in the wilderness in this time were the Essenes, uh, who kind of separated themselves from the world, and they would do this kind of ritual baptism act to initiate you into your new community. And John seems to be doing something similar, that you can choose to give up your old life enter into a new community who repents of that way of living and lives expectantly waiting for God to bring about a new reign of peace and love. And while John responds positively, and he's calling others to do so as well, those powerful figures that Luke gave us at the beginning of the chapter had plenty to repent of, but the text never gives us that repentance. So if you start with Emperor Tiberius, he was known for, and many emperors in that time were known for it, holding tons of trials where you would put people on trial for sedition of like um, going against the ruler and trying to uh, maybe overthrow the ruler. He'd put people on trial for treason. And so that often became death notices, especially to family members because they were other people in line for the power. So he was known for this kind of cruelty. He's also known for deporting Jews from Rome for a season and got overturned by a later emperor. And he also suffered from some very deteriorating mental health at the end of his life that made some of his decisions result in even more terror. So he, people wouldn't remember this emperor very positively. Pontius Pilate, of course, would be remembered as the one who helped sentence Jesus to death 
as an enemy of the state. Remember the sign, King of the Jews? Don't try to overthrow Rome or you'll get Rome's vengeance and, and, and violence. The Herod of Galilee that's mentioned is the Herod Antipas, who later uh, throws John in prison in this, later, in this chapter. Uh, so he obviously isn't responding positively to the text. He's going to have John imprisoned and beheaded. Even the religious elite are mentioned, the high priest Caiaphas, who uh, the text will portray as opposing God's movement through Jesus in the story. And this is a common thing. Those with power have a hard time of hearing the wisdom of God, which is at work often in the wilderness, in the everyday person, because it's hard to give up that power. It's hard to give up that self-interest. And so, whether it's the preference of the wisdom of Rome or D.C. or Lansing or whoever you want to pick as your powerful, uh, there is a temptation to uh, go by your own path, to try to benefit yourself and not listen to the wisdom of God. And so even though they often have a hard time repenting, there's still a chance for John's audience and there's still a chance for us. Next week we're going to look at what John's message of repentance actually looks like. We get some examples in the text that next week presents us. But what I want to point out today is what's the aim, what's the goal of what the wisdom of God is trying to accomplish in this text? Luke 3, 4 through 6 goes on, and we had kind of read the verse 3, but I'll start there. He went into all the region around Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So what's God's aim? The flattening, the leveling, the straightening of the world as all flesh, all living things, see the salvation of God. That leveling of society, kind of like what we talked about last week, is seen in very different ways. Some people repent and, and turn their lives around and kind of get on track with a way of love and a way of peace. And others have to be, be pushed into that a little bit more. And so the pronouncement of judgment is, is the idea that that's not the right path. Uh, that's not the way that will bring life and its correction. And it's correction that seeks that all things see the salvation of God. I really appreciate that universal scope that this story starts off with because this is really early in the gospel. I mean, even in that introductory list, does this gospel care about the whole world it's setting itself under the emperor. So it's back in Rome. It's got all these provincial rulers. It's got religious rulers. And then it goes to the everyday people. Everybody needs to see the salvation of God. And that Isaiah quote, every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low. All who are oppressed and who are feeling uh, the pain and the weight of the world will be lifted up. And all those who try to make themselves powerful and, and exploit others become made low, 
so that the whole world is this level, just, loving society. And that's the beauty of that image and that universal scope. And so it says, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. I hope that you can see the salvation of God. Whatever you find that's afflicting you, that's oppressing you, that's uh, bringing you worry, that's bringing you pain, what does salvation in that space look like? What does salvation in that wilderness moment for you look like? All flesh shall see the salvation of God. So when we return to that initial question, how can you discern whether someone is a prophet of God? How do you discern wisdom of God? Um, Because sometimes you hear that yourself, sometimes you hear that through other people. So I just want to kind of call to mind a few things that we've seen in this text about what it is to look for the wisdom of God and what is it to look for a prophet in this world. A prophet is not a voice that just parrots out what the empire wants you to think or what the business wants you to think. Uh, I'm sure we've all seen political pundits on a news station uh, being forced to justify whatever political decision was made that regardless of facts of any sort, your only goal is to affect perception and to just parrot out what somebody else wants you to say. But a prophet is not like that. A prophet is willing to speak from the wilderness and not just from the powerful and from the empire. So the, that wilderness voice is prophetic and speaks life in the midst of our chaos and our pain and our violence. A prophet also speaks of the mountains that need to be made low, that there are things that have to change. And I think even more so, a prophet is one who will even talk about that within their own tribe. It's one thing to talk about the other people's mountains that need to be made low, and it's another to talk about our own mountains that need to be made low. A prophet shows concern for the salvation, the well-being of all living things and not just their own tribe. It's easy when it gets tough in the world to just close everybody else off and only care about my own little group. But a prophet cares about the salvation and well-being of all people, not just themselves. And lastly, a prophet is someone who lives out that universal message of salvation and repentance, like John. Someone who invites others to join them on that journey as a renewed community of faith. So it's not just one thing to proclaim a message, it's another to also live that out and to get others on that journey together. So uh, a prophet isn't just trying to get people to be exclusive and, and just think differently, uh, just be individualistic, but how do we get a group of people to repent of certain kinds of things, to be uplifted when it's needed, and live out this new reality together? And so the beauty of this text is not only that we can be on watch for prophets in this world, but we can also receive that wisdom of God and be that prophetic voice in our lives, sometimes with our actions, sometimes with our words, as we share that life-giving wisdom of God to those who need it. And so I think when we truly listen for the wisdom of God, then you truly can be all that you can be, And the true wisdom of God is so much greater than any of the slogans that we hear every day. It is calling us all to something greater 
into the beauty and the hope that is the reign of God and God's love and peace. Would you pray with me? God, we ask that you would help renew our sight, that you would give us new vision, that you would give us perception to hear the wisdom of the love and the peace of you. Lord, we ask that you would help us to see it in others when you speak through others, and that you would also give our own mouths, our own hands, our own feet the wisdom to proclaim to others as well. Lord, we ask that those of us who are in the midst of our own wilderness journeys right now might be lifted up, that those valleys might be lifted, Lord, that when there's pain, when there's loss and isolation and fear, that salvation might be visible, that well-being, that wholeness, that community, that, that life is possible. So, Lord, I thank you for how you are moving in our midst. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.